Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Today we have a really good one. It's called Key Figures During the Tribulation Period. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 and 15. We'll be talking about those. So let's start with chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The woman is Israel. The sun, moon, and the stars depict the glory dominion which will be promised to her in the coming kingdom. Just as they pictured Joseph's ultimate role over his father, mother, and his brothers in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 and 11. Let's read it. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and at this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is the dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's look at chapter 12, verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The woman is in labor, awaiting the birth of a baby. Much of the history of Israel is telescoped in these verses, with no indication that time gaps exist between events or that the event are necessarily in chronological order. Chapter 12, verses 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon and seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. The dragon is Satan. But since the description parallels that of the revived Roman Empire, it may be Satan energizing that world power. Let's look at chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it may devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who would rule all nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. With a wish of the tail, the dragon swept a third of the stars of heaven to the earth, a possible reference to war in heaven which takes place in the middle of the tribulation and which results in fallen angels being cast from heaven to earth. The dragon is ready to devour the child as soon as he is born, fulfilled in the attempt of Herod the Great vassal of Rome, to destroy the newborn king of the Jews. The male child is clearly Jesus, destined to rule all nations with a rod of iron. The record here jumps from his birth to his ascension. The present church age is passed over between verses 5 and 6. Let's look at chapter 12, verses 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In the middle of the tribulation period, a portion of the nation of Israel flees to a secret place of refuge in the wilderness. Some think it's Petra. These people will remain in hiding for three and one-half years. 
Let's look at chapter 12, verses 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. It says war breaks out in heaven with Michael and his angels on one side, and the dragon and his angels on the other side. This is in the middle of the tribulation. Michael the archangel is associated with the affairs of the nation of Israel. Look at Daniel 12.1 on that. Daniel 12.1 says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not been from the beginning of the nations until then. But at the time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Let's look at Revelations 12, verses 8 and 9. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who led the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The dragon is so thoroughly defeated that he loses any right of access to heaven. He and his minions are cast down to the earth. This is not his final fate. Because in chapter 20, verses 1 and 3, it says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was a devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until a thousand years had ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Notice John's description of him. The great dragon, that serpent of old, the devil, Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. Let's look at chapter 12, verses 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. The eviction of the dragon is followed by a loud cry in heaven that God triumphs and the day of his people conquests have come. This anticipates the millennium kingdom. In the meantime, it is glorious event that the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. Let's look at chapter 12 verses 11. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The announcement continues. Prosecuted Jewish believers overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Their victory was based on the death of Jesus Christ and their testimony to the value of that death. In faithfulness to him, they sealed their testimony with his blood. Revelations 12 verses 12 and 13. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The heavens can rejoice over the dragon's departure, but it is bad news for the earth and the sea. The devil knows that his time is short, and he determined to pour out his wrath as widely as possible. The dragon's spleen is vented especially against Israel, the nation from which the Messiah came. Chapter 12, verses 14. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, time and a half, and a time out of the serpent's reach. 
The faithful Jewish remnant is given two wings of a great eagle, enabling it to escape quickly to the wilderness and hide out. Some have conjectured that these wings speak of a great air force. There the remnant is cared for and protected from the serpent's attack for three and a half years, a time, times, and a half time. Revelations 12 verses 15 to 16. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. In an effort to foil Israel's escape, the serpent causes a great flood to follow the people. But an earthquake swallowed the water and the devil is outwitted. Let's look at chapter 12 verses 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and holds fast their testimony about Jesus. Furious over his humiliation, he seeks to wreak vengeance on Jews who had remained in the land, Jews who show the reality of their faith by keeping the commands of God and by bearing testimony to Jesus. Chapter 13 introduces us to two great beasts, one beast rises up out of the sea and one out of the earth or land, that is, the land of Israel. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. There is no doubt that these beasts symbolize men who play a prominent role during the tribulation period. They combine the creatures of the four beasts of Daniel. The first beast is the head of the revived Roman Empire, which will exist in ten kingdom form. He rises out of the sea, a type of Gentile nation. He has ten horns. Daniel predicted that the Roman Empire would be revived in ten kingdom form. Let's look at it in Daniel chapter 7 verses 24. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He has seven heads. So let's look at in chapter 17, 9. These are said to be seven kings, a possible reference to the seven different types of rulers or seven different stages of the empire. He has ten diadems on his horns. They speak of the power to rule which was given to him by the dragon Satan. He has a blasphemous name on his heads and he makes claims for himself as if he were God and not a mere man. Let's look at chapter 13 verses 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but his feet like those of a bear and mouth like a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. The beast is like a leopard, his feet like bears, and his mouth like lions. In Daniel 7, the leopard symbolizes Greece. The bear is a type of Medo-Persia, and the lion represents Babylon. The revived Roman Empire thus resembles its predecessors in that it is swift to conquer like a leopard, powerful as a bear, and greedy as a lion. In short, it combines all the evil features of the preceding world empires. The empire and its rulers receive supernatural strength from Satan. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. The beast had a mortal wound in one of its heads. 
the deadly wound is healed. In other words, the empire is revived with an emperor as head, namely the beast. Let's look at chapter 13, verse 4. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast is worshipped by men. They are not only amazed at him, they actually worship him as God. They also worship the dragon. Revelations chapter 13 verses 5 and 6. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. The beast makes proud boasts and utters unspeakable blasphemies. He is allowed to make war for 42 months. He speaks with callous irreverence against God's name, his tabernacle, and the hosts of heaven. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 7. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. He makes war with God's people and overcomes many of them. They die rather than to submit to him. His rule extends over all the world, the last world empire before Christ's reign. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain for the creation of the world. Those who are not true believers readily worship the beast because they never trusted Christ. Their names were never written in the book of life of the Lamb. And because their names are not found among those of the redeemed, they are given over to error. They would not believe the truth. Now they believe a lie. Chapter 13, verses 9. Whoever has ear, let him hear. This shows a warning to everyone to accept the light of God's word when it is available. The consequences of rejecting light is to have light denied. Let's look at chapter 13, 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword they shall be killed. This calls for patience, endurance, and faithfulness on the part of God's people. True believers are assured that their prosecutors shall go into captivity and be killed with the sword. This enables the saints to wait in patience and faith. Chapter 13, 11 says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. The second beast is another prominent figure of the tribulation period. He works in close cooperation with the first beast, even organizing an international campaign for the worship of the first beast and of a huge idol representing the Roman Empire. The second beast comes up out of the earth or the land. If the land of Israel is in view, then this leader is almost surely a Jew. He is a false prophet. He has two horns like a lamb, giving the appearance of gentleness and harmlessness, but also suggesting that he impersonates the Lamb of God. He speaks like a dragon, indicates that he is directly inspired and empowered by Satan. Let's look at Revelations 13, 12, and 14. It exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. 
and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast and deceive the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He exercises all the authority of the first beast meaning that the Roman Empire gives him unlimited authority to act on his behalf. He has supernatural power, even causing fire to fall from heaven. The purpose of this miracle, of course, is to deceive the people into worshiping a man as God. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 15. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He gives animation to the great image, the abomination of desolation, so that it can actually speak. The penalty for refusing to worship is death. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. The second beast insists that people indicate their allegiance to the Roman Empire by wearing the mark of the beast on their right hand or on their foreheads. In addition to this mark, the beast has a name and a mystical number. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 17. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Unless a person takes a mark, name, or a number of the beast, he will not be able to buy or sell. It is an effort to force men and women by economic means to forsake Christ for idolatry. This will be a severe test, but true believers will prefer death to renouncing their Savior. Let's look at chapter 13, verses 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. The number of the beast is 666. Six is the number of man. The fact is that one less than seven may suggest that man has fallen short of the glory of the perfection of God. The three sixes are a trinity of evil. One of the biggest questions rise in connection with chapter 13 is whether the first or the second beast is the Antichrist. Basically, the argument of the first being the Antichrist is that he insists on being worshipped as God. Those who hold the second beast as the Antichrist point out that no Jew would ever accept a Gentile as Messiah, and that since the second beast is a Jew, he must therefore be the false Messiah. Chapter 14, verses 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. The Lamb is seen standing on Mount Zion with 144,000 followers, all of whom were sealed on their forehead. This looks forward to the time when the Lord Jesus will come back to the earth and stand in Jerusalem with this group of believers from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then 144,000 are the same ones mentioned in chapter 7. They are not about to enter the kingdom of Christ. Let's look at Revelations chapter 14 verses 2 and 3. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing water and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. 
No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. John hears music coming from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder and like harpists playing their harps. Only the 144,000 could learn that song. Let's look at Revelations 14 verses 4 and 5. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. They are described as virgins, those who have not been defiled themselves with women. They had kept themselves free from the terrible idolatry and immorality of this period and followed the Lamb in unquestionable obedience and devotion. They did not accept the lie of the Antichrist, that a mere man was to be worshipped. They were blameless as far as their steadfast confession of Christ was concerned. Let's look at Revelations 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw an angel flying down in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who lived on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the spring of waters. The angel flying in mid-heaven with the everlasting gospel seems to correspond with Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Men are commanded to fear God rather than the beast, to give glory to Him rather than the idolatrous image, and to worship Him rather than a mere man. Of course, there is only one gospel. The good news is salvation through faith in Christ. But there are different emphases in different dispensations. During the Great Tribulation, the gospel will seek to turn men away from worshiping of the beast and prepare them for Christ's kingdom on earth. The second angel announces Babylon's fall. Let's look at chapter 14, 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the mandarin wine of their adulteries. Babylon represents apostate Judaism and apostate Christendom, which will be vast commercial and religious conglomerate with headquarters in Rome. All nations will become drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Let's look at Revelations 14, 9, 10. A third engine followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast and its image and receive its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. We can fix the time of the third angel's pronouncement as being at the middle of the tribulation, which is the same as the beginning of the great tribulation. The angel warns that any who agree to the beast's worship and any of its forms will suffer God's wrath and now and eternally. The wine of his wrath will be poured out on the earth during the great tribulation, but that will be only a foretaste of the pangs of eternal hell, where unbelievers shall be tormented with fire and brimstone forever. The second chapter 14 verses 11. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image 
or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. The verse reminds us that hell consists of eternal and conscious punishment. The Bible never teaches that the wicked dead will be annihilated. The smoke of their torment ascends perpetually, and there is no relief day or night. Let's look at chapter 14, verses 12. This calls for patience endurance on the part of the people of God who keeps his commands and remains faithful to Jesus. This will be a time when the saints will be called to endure patiently and savagery of the beast, to obey God by refusing to worship a man or an idol, or to hold fast their confession of faith in Jesus. The eventual doom of the wicked serves to encourage the faithful to endure. Let's look at chapter 14, verses 13. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Believers who die during this period will not miss the blessing of the millennial kingdom. Man says, Blessed are the living. God says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And their works follow them. Everything done for Christ and in His name for others will be richly rewarded. Every kindness, sacrificial gift, prayer, tear, and word of testimony. Let's look at chapter 14, verses 14. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. If we compare this passage with Matthew chapter 13, verses 39 and 43, we learn that the harvest of the earth takes place at the second advent of our Lord. Here he is said to do the reaping. In Matthew 13, 39, the angels are the reapers. Both are true. Christ does it through the agency of the angels. Christ is here seen descending on a white cloud, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Chapter 14, verse 15. Then another angel came out of the temple and called a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And an angel from the temple tell him to thrust a sickle because the harvest of the earth is ripe. This should not be looked as an order. Angels have no right to command God. Rather, it is an entreaty or a message relayed from God the Father. Let's look at chapter 14, verses 16. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. There are two ways of understanding this first harvest. First of all, it may picture the gathering of tribulation believers to enter the millennium. According to this view, it would correspond to the good seeds of Matthew 13, that is, the sons of kingdom. Or it may be a harvest of judgment. In this case, the subjects of the judgment may be Gentiles, since Israel seems to be in view of the next harvest. Let's look at chapter 14, verses 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he took a sharp sickle. Now the record turns to the last terrible judgment that will fall on the unbelieving portion of the nation of Israel, the vine of the earth. An angel comes out of the temple, which is in heaven, equipped with a sharp sickle. Chapter 14, verses 18. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called a loud voice to him, who had the sharp sickle. 
Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. Another angel gives a signal to begin reaping. The angel has power over fire, which will symbolize the judgment to follow. Chapter 14, verses 19. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. The mature grapes are gathered and thrown into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The trampling of the grapes in the process of making wine is used here as a picture of crushing judgment. Chapter 14, verses 2. They were trampled into the winepress out the city, and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. This vintage takes place outside the city of Jerusalem, perhaps in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The carnage will be so great that this blood will flow into the streams 180 miles long, as deep as the horses' bridles. This would reach from Jerusalem to the south of Edom. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. Another sign in heaven involves seven angels having the seven plagues, which, when loosed, mark the completion of God's wrath. For this we know that we are now towards the end of the tribulation. Chapter 15, verses 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing behind the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God. John sees a great company of people in heaven, standing on a glass of mingled with fire. He recognizes them as those who refused to worship the beast or his image. Doubtless, they were martyrs as a result. Let's look at Revelations chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And sung the song of God's servant, Moses and the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. But now they are in heaven singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, composed almost entirely of quotations from the Old Testament. They testify to the righteousness of God's judgment in anticipation of what He is about to do to their murderers on earth. They praise God Almighty for His works and ways. In the context, this means His acts of judgment, though it may be implied to all His works and of ways, of course, King of the saints should read King of the Nations. The Song of Moses has celebrated God's redemption of His people from slavery in Egypt. The Song of the Lamb celebrates the final deliverance from Satan and all his foes of spiritual life. God's judgments on the earth have shown Him to be a God of holiness. They will cause all nations to fear, glorify, and worship Him. Chapter 15, verse 5. After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. After these things, John sees the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven open. This is apparently the heavenly reality of which the earthly temple was a pattern or a copy of. It refers especially to the most holy place. Chapter 15, verse 6, 
Out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shiny linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Seven angels emerged, clothed in pure, bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. This means that they were equipped to execute righteous judgment by which God will be glorified. These angels are about to unleash the seven last plagues. Let's look at chapter 15, 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. One of the four living creatures hands a bowl to each angel. These bowls contain the final judgments of the great tribulation which affect all of God's enemies, not just a portion of them. Let's look at finally chapter 15 verses 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The fact that no one can enter the temple till these seven plagues are completed may mean that no priestly intercession can now delay God's wrath. I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that He came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live that he died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that his word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. The Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in Him. That demonstration of faith pleases God, because we have freely chosen to know Him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 So the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. 
because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because he knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent his son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now you prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10.9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through his word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless and remember, Jesus is the Voice of Truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.